That's it. That was your cue. What was my cue? That right there. You're supposed to say, Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. Masterpiece Audio Theatre Presents. That's right. Then you say, Myths from around the world. Myths from around the world. Okay, and a stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast. A stranded in the middle of nowhere podcast? Well, where are we? How are we going to get home? I'm going to get scared. Everything will be all right, trust me. This is a continuation from the Dog Days of Podcasting 2022. Hello and welcome to Masterpiece Audio Theater. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Welcome around the fire here where we tell you the stories. Yes, yes, we would love it if you would like to listen to part 12 of A Christmas Carol. That's right, grab yourself a chair, grab yourself a blanket, grab yourself a loved one. Come on, snuggle up, let's have a story here. That's exactly right. And you get to hear both of us in this edition. You know, the last ghost, the last visit. That's right, the last visit. Here we go. Stave four, the last of the spirits. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for the very air through which the spirit moved seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible, save one outstretched hand. But for this, it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night that separated it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. He felt that it was tall and stately when it came beside him, and that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. Am I in the presence of the God of Christmas yet to come? said Scrooge. The spirit answered not, but pointed onwards with its hand. You're about to show me the shadows of things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us, Scrooge pursued. Is that so, spirit? The upper portion of the garment was contracted for an instant in its folds, as if the spirit had inclined its head. That was the only answer he received. Although well used to ghostly company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him, and he found he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment as observing his commission and giving him time to recover. But Scrooge was all the worse for this. It thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that, behind the dusky shroud, there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him, while he, though he stretched his own to the utmost, could see nothing but a spectral hand and one great heap of black. Ghost of the future, he exclaimed. I fear you more than any spectre I have seen. But as you know, your purpose is to do me good, and I hope to live to be another man from what I was. I am prepared to bear you company, and do with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, said Scrooge. Lead on. 
The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit! The phantom moved away as it had come towards him. Scrooge followed the shadow of its dress, which bore him up, he thought, and carried him along. They scarcely seemed to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to sprung up about them and encompass them of its own act. But there they were, in the heart of it, on the change amongst the merchants, who hurried up and down and chinked the money in their pockets and conversed in groups and looked at their watches and trifled thoughtfully with their great golden seals and so forth, as Scrooge had seen them often. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen. Observing the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. Now, said a great fat man with a monstrous chin, I don't know how much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? inquired another. Late last night, I believe. Why, what was the matter with him? asked a third, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a large snuff box. I thought he'd never die. God knows, said the first with a yawn. What has he done with his money? asked a red-faced gentleman with a pondulous excrescence on the end of his nose that shook like the gills of a turkey cock. I even heard said the man with the large chin, yawning again. Left his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. These pleasantries were received with a general laugh. It's likely to be a cheap funeral, said the same speaker. For upon my life, I don't know if anybody to go to it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going if lunch is provided, observed the gentleman with the excrescence on his nose. But I must be fed if I make one. Another laugh. Well, I'm the most disinterested among you, after all, said the first speaker, for I never wear black gloves and I never eat lunch, but I'll offer to go if anyone else will. When I come to think of it, I'm not all that sure I wasn't his most particular friend, for we used to stop and speak whenever we met. Bye-bye! The speakers and listeners strolled away and mixed with other groups. Scrooge knew the men and looked towards the spirit for an explanation. The phantom glided on into the street. Its finger pointed to two persons meeting. Scrooge listened again, thinking that the explanation might lie here. He knew these men also, perfectly. They were the men of business, very wealthy, and of great importance. He had made a point of always standing well in their esteem. In a business point of view, that is. Strictly in a business point of view. How are you? said one. How are you? returned the other. Well, said the first, old Scratch has got his own at last, eh? So I'm told, returned the second. Cold, isn't it? Seasonable for the Christmas time. You're not a skater, I suppose. No, no, something else to think of. Good morning. Not another word. That was their meeting, their conversation, and their parting. Scrooge was at first inclined to be surprised that the spirit should attach importance to the conversations apparently so trivial, but... Feeling assured that they must have hidden some purpose, he set himself to consider what it was likely to be. They could scarcely be supposed to have any bearing on the death of Jacob, his old partner, for that was the past, and this ghost's province was the future. Nor could he think of anyone immediately connected with him to whom he could apply them, but nothing doubting that, to whomsoever they applied, they had some latent moral for his own improvement. He resolved to treasure it up, every word he heard and everything he saw, and especially to observe the shadow of himself when it appeared, for he had an expectation that the conduct of his future self would give him the clue he missed, and would render the solution of these riddles easy. 
He looked about in that very place for his own image, but another man stood in his accustomed corner, and though the clock pointed to his usual time of day for being there, he saw no likeness of himself among the multitude that poured in through the porch. It gave him little surprise, however, for he had been revolving in his mind to change a life, and thought and hoped that he saw his newborn resolution carried out in this. Quiet and dark, beside him stood the phantom, with its outstretched hand. When he roused himself from his thoughtful quest, he fancied, from the turn of the hand and the situation in reference to himself, that the unseen eyes were looking at him keenly. It made him shudder and feel very cold. They left the busy scene and went to an obscure part of town, where Scrooge had never penetrated before. Although he recognized its situation and its bad repute, the ways were foul and narrow, the shops and houses wretched, the people half-naked, drunken, slipshod, ugly, alleys and archways, like so many cesspools, disgorging their offences of smell and dirt and life upon the staggering streets, and the whole quarter reeked with crime, with filth and misery. Far in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed beetling shop below a penthouse roof, where iron, old rags, bottles, bones, and greasy offal were brought. Upon the floor within were piled up heaps of rusty keys, nails, chains, hinges, files, scales, weights, and refuse iron of all kinds. Secrets that few would likely to scrutinize were bred and hidden in the mountains of unseemly rags, masses of corrupt fat, and sculptures of bones. Sitting in among the wares he dealt in, by a charcoal stove made of old bricks, was a grey-haired rascal, nearly seventy years of age, who had screened himself from the cold air without by a frozen curtain of miscellaneous tatters hung upon a line, and smoked his pipe in all the luxury of calm retirement. Scrooge and the Phantom came into the presence of this man, just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop. But she had scarcely entered when another woman, similarly laden, came in too, she was closely followed by a man in faded black, who was no less startled by the sight of them than they had been upon the recognition of each other. After a short period of blank astonishment, in which the old man with the pipe had joined them, they all three burst into a laugh. Let the chairwoman alone be there first, cried she who entered first. Let the laundress alone be the second, and let the undertaker's man alone be the third. Look here, old Joel, here's a chance if we haven't all three met here without meaning it. You couldn't have met me in a better place, said old Joel, removing his pipe from his mouth. Come into the parlour. You were made free of it long ago, you know. And the other two eight strangers come till I shut the door of the shop. Oh, how it shrieks. There ain't such a rusty bit of metal in the place as its own hinges, I believe. And I'm sure there's no such old bones here as mine. <laughs> We're all suitable to our calling. We're all well matched. Come into the parlor. Come into the parlor. The parlor was the space behind the screen of rags. The old man raked the fire together with an old stair rod. And having trimmed his smoky lamp, for it was night, with the stem of his pipe, put it to his mouth again. When he did this, the woman who had already spoken threw her bundle on the floor and sat down in a flaunting manner on a stool, crossing her elbows on her knees and looking with a bold defiance at the other two. What's the odds, son? What's the odds, Mrs. Dibbler? said the woman. Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. 
that's true indeed, said the laundress. No man more so. Why, then, don't stand staring as if you was a fried woman. What's the wiser? We're not going to pick through the holes of each other's coat, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs Dibbler and the man together. We should hope not. Very well, then, cried the woman. That's enough. Who's the worse for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed, said Mrs Dibbler, laughing. If he wanted to keep him after he was dead, a wicked old screw, pursued the woman. Why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd had somebody look after him when he was struck with death, instead of lying gasping out his last air alone by himself. It's the truest words that ever spoken, said Mrs Dibbler. It's a judgment on him. I wish it was a little heavier of a judgment, replied the woman, and it should have been. You may depend on it, if I could have laid my hands on anything else. Open that bundle, old Joe, and let me know the value of it. Speak out plain, I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid of them seeing it. We knew pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met here, I believe. It's no sin. Open that bundle, Joe. But the gantry of her friends would not allow this. The man in faded black mounting the breach first, producing his plunder. It was not extensive. A seal or two, a pencil case, a pair of sleeve buttons, a brooch of no great value were all. They were severely examined and appraised by old Joe, who chalked the sums he was disposed to give for each upon the wall, and added them up into a total when he found that there was nothing more to come. That's your account, said Joe, and I would give it another sixpence. If I was to be boiled for not doing it, who's next? Mrs. Dibbler was next. Sheets and towels and a little wearing apparel, two old-fashioned silver teaspoons, a pair of sugar tongs, a few boots. Her account was slated on the wall in the same manner. I always give too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's the way I ruin myself, said old Joe. That's your account. If you asked me for another penny and made it an open question, I'd repent of being so liberal and knock off half a crowd. And now undo my bundle, Joe, said the first woman. Joe went down on his knees for the greater convenience of opening it, and having unfastened a great many knots, dragged out a large roll of some dark stuff. What do you call this? said Joe. Bed curtains? Ah, returned the woman, laughing and leaning forward on her crossed arms. Bed curtains! <laughs> you don't mean to say you took them down, rings and all them lying there, said Joe. Yes, I do, replied the woman. Why not? You were born to make your fortune, said Joe, and you'll certainly do it. I certainly shan't hold my hand when I can get anything in by reaching it out, for the sake of such a man as he was. I promise you, Joe, returned the woman coolly. Don't drop that oil upon the blankets now. Yes, blankets, asked Joe. Whose else do you think, replied the woman. He isn't likely to take cold out of them, I dare say. I hope he didn't die of anything catching, eh? said old Joe, stopping his work and looking up. Don't be afraid of that returned the woman. I ain't so fond of his company that I loiter about for such things if he did. Ah, you may look through that shirt till your eyes itch, but you won't find a hole in it.
nor a threadbare place. It's the best he had, and a fine one too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What do you call wasting of it? asked old Joe. Put him on it to be buried in, for sure, replied the woman with a laugh. Some boy was foul enough to do it, but I took it off again. If Calico ain't good enough for such a purpose, it ain't good enough for anything. It's quite as becoming to the body. He can't look any uglier than he did in that one. Scrooge listened to this dialogue in horror as they sat grouped about their spoil. In the scanty light afforded by the old man's lamp, he viewed them with desation and disgust which could hardly have been greater, though they had been obscure demons marketing the corpse itself. Ha <laughs> ha! laughed the same woman when old Joe, producing a flannel bag with money in it, told out their several gains upon the ground. This is the end of it, you see. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. Ha ha ha! said Scrooge, shuddering from head to foot. I see, I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life turns that way now. Listening to Empath Studios' presentation of the Myths from Around the World, a special Dog Days of Podcasting contribution. Sound clips are from GarageBand and can be found in their samples library. The stories that we have shared can be found at Gutenberg.org. We can be found on Facebook on the Masterpiece Audio Theatre page, on Nimlas.org, or you can email us at j at jglangchance.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 unported license. Thanks for joining us.